Um, stand as you are able um, and bow with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we have this chance to come before you. We give you thanks that we have this chance to know you, uh, to ask in your presence. And so, God, we pray for you to fill this time. Take this time and use it for your purpose. May we truly see you. Make this ground holy ground. Make time holy time, whether we are here in the sanctuary where whether we're joining in online, loving God, may this be the time where we praise you, where we know you, where we see your face most clearly. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we are free in you. We give you thanks that no matter how far we feel from who we are supposed to be, your love is there to raise us up. That when we call upon your name, that is all that is needed. And so, God, we are deeply thankful for your ongoing presence, love, support, grace, and salvation. And God, we give you thanks for all those places where we can life and see how you have moved. And so, God, we come to you now with those places in our lives right now where we need you to move. God, we lift up our prayer requests, both spoken and unspoken. In particular, uh, we lift up for the victims of the, sh the shooting in Buffalo. God, we pray uh, for those, uh, the families of those who've lost their lives. We pray for those who are injured. God, we pray for that community um, that through one random act of hate um, have experienced so much tragedy. Uh, we pray uh, for a peaceful resolution um, and the safety of the TDCJ folks who are searching for an escaped inmate that escaped uh, from Centerville. God, we pray, yes, for a peaceful um, and safe resolution uh, for that challenge. We lift up uh, the Newman family who lost their son on Friday. God, we pray uh, for their healing um, in this really difficult and challenging and tragic time. Uh, we lift up the Palestine YMCA and the construction that's happening there after the fire last week um, and for the YMCA kids who are at a new site for child care. God, we uh, pray uh, for all of those things. Uh, God, we give you thanks uh, that, uh, that the folks are safe, but God, we pray for that situation. We lift up Mark Johns and just pray uh, for you, God, to move. Uh, we pray uh, for Gail Tatum, uh, who had foot, feet sur foot surgery. Uh, we lift up Elena Wise, who needs strength and peace. God, we pray for you to move there as well. We lift up Carla Rawson um, and Eric Johnson. We pray for Angela, um, and we pray for Rhonda. Uh, we pray for the Schneider family um, as they mourn the loss of their sister. Uh, we pray uh, uh, for our dear brother, John Hafner, who is continuing to recover uh, from a really bad stroke. Uh, we lift the people of Ukraine who have been caught now in nearly three months of continuous warfare. God, we pray for safety and for peace. And God, we pray for all of those in deep need of you, God. We pray for you to move, but God, we also pray for you to move in our own lives, in our own hearts, stir up in us that desire to love you, that desire to serve you, that desire to know that when we fall short, your grace is there. God, we give you thanks for that second chance, that next chance that your grace has given us. And so, God, we pray that we may be a people that takes that second chance and runs with it, runs out into the world in ministry as your hands and feet. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated.
invite uh, Pastor Emily and I invite the kids to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. Good morning, friends. How are y'all doing today? Are you ready for the end of school? How many days of school do you still have left? Five. One week, five more days. Teachers, you're almost there. Four and a half, says the teacher from the back. Four and a half. They're counting the minutes now. <laughs> it is almost summer. Good morning. Come in, come in, come join us. Okay, so I have some questions for you. It's a pop quiz. Don't worry. I know it's the end of school, but you can do this one. Um, so I want y'all to guess for me, how many people do you think live in our city of Palestine? How many people? Uh, seven, seven billion. Okay. Seven billion is how many live in the whole wide world. That is a really good number to know. That was going to be my next question over there. Okay. How many in Palestine though? What do you think? 300. Okay. It's a little more than 300. What do you think? 325. Okay. It's actually 17,000 people live in our town. Isn't that crazy? It's a little bit bigger than we thought it was, huh? How about in the state of Texas? How many people do you think live in the state of Texas? It's even bigger than that, right? Seven million. Seven million? It's more than seven million. Can you believe? Okay, so higher than seven million. 7,000, 7 million. 7,000, 7 million, not quite that many. <laughs> okay. 7 billion. Not 7 billion. So 7 is in the whole wide world, but in Texas, which is the best country in the whole wide world, right? We call it our own country. We're not. We're a state, but the best country in the world, Texas, uh, 28 million people live here. And then you already know. The answer to my last question, which is how many people live in the whole wide world, which is how many, Jay? You said it Seven billion. Seven billion people. Okay. So let me ask you now, of all of those seven billion people, that's a lot of people, right? It would take us a long time to count up to seven billion. How many of those people do you think God loves? All. All of them. Yes. Does it matter if they live in Texas or somewhere else? Does it matter if they look like us or act like us or worship like us? No. Do you think God loves them all anyways? Absolutely. And this morning, our scripture talks about just that, how God loves all of us, no matter where we came from, no matter what our background is, whether we live in Palestine or Texas or across the world, God loves us. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. What did you have to say, Thomas? doesn't matter if you live in Australia. Doesn't even matter if you live in Australia. Absolutely. Okay, well, do you guys want to pray with me? All right, let's bow our head, close our eyes, and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving all of us. All seven billion of us. And for sending your son, Jesus, to show how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Our scripture this morning comes from the 11th chapter of Acts of the Apostles, verses 1 through 18. 
Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went to, up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven being lowered by its four corners and as it came close to me as i looked at it i as i looked at it closely i saw four footed animals beasts of prey reptiles and birds of the air i also heard a voice saying to me get up peter kill and eat but i replied by no means lord for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth but a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what has been made, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up to again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived in the house where we were. The Spirit of God told, excuse me, the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wrong page. Let's try it again. There we go. Um, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Say it's God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, when I was 15 years old, I learned a marvelous fact about life. That being an argumentative person can be an incredibly useful talent. That sometimes being the one that always argues actually makes the world a better place. You see, I was a very cool teen, um, and I competed in the National Envirothon, which is like an environmental science competition. And you might go, Pastor Trey, what were you doing in the National Envirothon? You're like a theater kid. Yes, I was poached for the National Envirothon because they needed someone who talked good. Um, and so my job was to like take the information and then do the presentation portion well because I could talk in front of people and the other folks on the team could science or whatever. Um, but that meant we had to like build these presentations. We didn't get to pre-plan what they were. When you got to the competition, you were like handed, this is the thing, this is the problem you have to solve, this is the presentation you have to, this is the topic you have to build a presentation on. And how we settled on how the solution we were going to present was through the time-honored 
a tradition called having an argument for many hours, uh, where I would feel passionately about how we needed to solve this problem. Um, they would argue with me about it, and out of this argument came what we called the solution. And you could tell when the right solution was in the room, because that's when the argument would stop. Right, that finally someone, whoever it was, whether it was me or the scientist, would have hit upon the solution and we could stop arguing now and we'd get to actually writing this presentation. And this would happen over, like, we would be trapped in this room for hours trying to plan our presentation. And so we would have hours of arguments. And it did very well. We went to nationals twice. Very proud, one of my very proud high school achievements. But at one of our competitions, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I, we were at Hampshire College in Ma middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. I don't remember what the topic was, but at some point, I just, even I, you know, born to argue me, got tired of arguing for a little bit, and I just shut down. I was just sitting there going, yeah, 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 y'all do whatever you want. I'm, I'm done arguing about this. Can we just get this presentation done? Billy Dempsey, who was a senior, um, he was also our team captain, looked at me and went, Trey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm not arguing. Yeah, stop doing that. Start arguing. I was like, Billy, why? You've got to be tired of me arguing with you at this point. Oh, yeah. No, I absolutely am. But I also know that only by arguing do we come to the solution. And we haven't come to the solution that feels right to everybody yet. And so I need you to start arguing again. I was ready. I started arguing again, and guess what? We found a much better solution um, because I was willing to argue until the right solution was there. There is something really powerful about people who profoundly disagree coming together to the same Answer. I think about uh, Abraham Lincoln built his, his presidential cabinet around this same idea. There's this great book by Doris Kearns Goodwin called Team of Rivals. And the whole idea was uh, Abraham Lincoln took all of the people in the government that might have disagreed with him. And instead of like sending them off to be, I don't know, Senate, you know, ambassador to Micronesia, they didn't have Micronesia yet. And they definitely didn't send ambassadors there yet, but send them out, you know, to the wildest wildernesses to oversee the, you know, fort whatever in the middle of nowhere, he took all the people that could potentially challenge him, that could potentially be a headache for him, that deeply disagreed with him, that in some cases had like run against him in primaries, and he put them at the center of his administration and made them people like his secretary of state and his secretary of war right there in the center of the government. He knew what Billy Dempsey taught me, that when you put those people together that are going to deeply disagree, when they finally do agree on something, you know that's the right answer because it is coming from all these wildly different people coming to the same conclusion has real power. Secretly, this is also how we designed the Board of Stewards, the thing that leads our, the lay committee that leads our church. Um, it is a people, whole bunch of people with wildly different uh, perspectives and life experience who I know, some of whom deeply disagreed. Back when I was recruiting one of the board members, he was like, look, I argue with you all the time. And I was like, exactly, brother. That's why I'm inviting you to be here. 
So that when we do hit on an answer that we all agree upon, praise God, we know the Spirit of God has moved. Because if you and I are going to agree, that means something literally miraculous has happened. There's real power and testimony when wildly different people come together and reach the same conclusion. It's really easy when people who are all very similar reach the same conclusion. The real power is when people who do not often agree come together and agree. And that is exactly what is happening in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Because it is all about the conversion of Cornelius and Cornelius' friends all of whom happen to be Roman soldiers. So you have Peter, you know, Peter of the Bible fame. He's literally um, Simon the Rock. Um, the word Peter is just Petros. It just means rock. The way we hear Dwayne the Rock Johnson is it is Simon the Rock, son of Zebedee. That is literally his name. Uh, the, Dwayne the Rock Johnson did not make this up. That Peter got him beat a long time ago. And Peter, just like the other the Rock, still can't ditch the Rock to this day. So the Rock, Peter, um, it's good Jewish boy, right? Grew up as uh, in a good Jewish household. Says even here in the scripture, look, I've always kept the food laws. I've always been a good Jewish boy. You know, whatever. You have Cornelius. Cornelius is extremely Gentile. He is from Italy. That means he is from the heart of Rome. Not only is he from Italy, he is a high-ranking Roman soldier, so he works for the evil empire. Yes, he is starting to believe in God, and that makes him different, but there's no doubt he grew up a Gentile. He became a Roman soldier. He is part of the occupying army. His friends are Roman soldiers, part of the occupying army, and so Peter and Cornelius and Cornelius' friends are wildly different. And we are very used to hearing Gentiles belong because we are all Gentiles, right? We are all Gentiles. And so we are used to saying, yes, if Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, and we are the Gentiles, and praise God, I'm so glad that worked out. That, all that hadn't happened yet. And so Gentiles were very rare in the movement. And all of the Jewish kids uh, who were, you know, founding this movement and working in this movement had all been told that Gentiles are the enemy and that you are unclean if you hang out with Gentiles. And so Peter says this to Cornelius upon meeting him. It's in, we didn't read this, but it's in chapter 10, uh, verse 28. Peter says, and he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And jumping to verse 3 of chapter 11, which is, the, again, Peter, the, you know, kind of the good Jewish boys who are founding the Christian movement, um, are also shocked that this whole thing has happened. That is verse 3, saying to them, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? For generations, Jews have been told, don't even go near Gentiles. To go near them is to make yourself unclean. 
to make yourself ritually impure, to not be a good Jew. To be a good Jew was to only hang out in your community and not go anywhere near Gentiles, much less eat with them, much less pray with them, much less baptize them, much less welcome them into the fold. Because the Romans in particular were the evil empire that was like ruining God's land, right? They were the external force occupying and ruining everything that God had given them. It's a very wide divide we find ourselves in. Good Jewish boys on one hand, trying their best. Gentiles on the other, desiring God. How on earth is this going to work? Well, God intervenes and gives Peter what I admit is one of the weirder dreams, other than the book of Revelation, it's one of the weirder dreams in the entire New Testament. Because there's just, and this is, I like this painting because it's absolutely absurd, but that is more or less accurate to what the scripture says. Peter, taking a nap, sees in the sky a sheet being supported on its four corners, full of different crazy animals. How is that sheet holding an elephant, a giraffe, and a hippopotamus? I don't know, but I would prefer to be that goose there because that goose stands a chance of getting away when this whole thing goes awry and lands on Peter's head. That's the real miracle in this dream, that Peter's not crushed to death by the elephant. But this, so he gets this, of all these animals, and a lot, a lot of them are unclean, he would not have been allowed to eat them. And then my favorite quote from God in the whole New Testament, sarcastically, Go, Peter, kill and eat. It's great. And Peter's like, by no means, Lord. These are unclean animals. And that's where God gets to the point. This isn't actually about food. Although some of those animals do look tasty. Do like gator. This is about people. And what God has made clean who God welcomes, far be it from any human to get in the way. To hear it directly from God's word, it is verses 9 and 10 of chapter 11. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. Who God has decided to welcome. Far be it from any human to get in the way. And so, in that spirit, Peter sets out from Joppa to Caesarea. And in that spirit, Peter enters the home of a general from the evil empire and says, I don't fully understand why I'm here, but God told me to be here, and God told me to welcome you, and God told me to start preaching. And when Peter starts preaching, something remarkable happens. The Holy Spirit comes down on those Gentiles, just like the Holy Spirit came down on our friends, the good Jewish boys, the good Jewish Christians, in Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost. And Peter relates that experience in verses 15 through 18. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as happened, happened to us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of God, the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. 
And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is a huge leap. This is something entirely new. This is God's love breaking out in a place that a generation before, that before the life of Christ, that 30 years previous, would have seemed absolutely impossible. The religious union of Jews and Gentiles? By no means. Those Gentiles are impure. Just hanging out with them means we can't go in the temple. How on earth are we going to worship and praise the Lord with them? How on earth are they going to be baptized? How on earth can they receive the same spirit that we have? And yet that is exactly what happens. This divide seemed uncrossable. These two folks, Jews and Gentiles, ununitable, but the same spirit rested upon them. God leapt from one group to another and made the kingdom of God that much bigger and that much more powerful. And it's a powerful testimony to the reality of God that two groups so wildly different can both experience and know the salvation and love of God. And that story in and of itself would be powerful, would be a powerful testimony to the reality of God that both Jews and Gentiles can worship in the same way. But God did not stop there. God then left to from some Gentiles to the entire Roman Empire and then from the Roman Empire to the Germanic tribes that end up destroying the Roman Empire. What at the, at the fall of the Roman Empire, what did Rome and their conquerors have in common? They both followed God. And then it kept going from there, from Germanic tribes to Celtic tribes to medieval Europe to... Africa to India to Asia to South America to all over the world. It kept leaping and leaping and leaping. Right now, there are Christians in every country that speak every language, all experiencing the same spirit as we are. I look out the world sometimes, and I don't think the world agrees on much. We all eat different food. We all have different languages. We all have different cultures. We all have dress funny. We all dress funny. It's just who do you think dresses funny, but we all dress funny. And yet, in all of those places, it's that same spirit of God. What do Peter, the Jewish fisherman, Cornelius, the Roman officer, you, me, an African Pentecostal pastor leading a worship service under a tree right now. He's probably asleep right now, 12 hours ago. It's midnight there. What do we all have in common? We all have that same spirit of God. What a powerful testimony to the reality of God. That of the 2 billion Christians that are out there in the world, two-sevenths of the world's population can all experience that same spirit, whether it's in Kiswahili or Spanish or English or Chinese or languages I have never heard of nor able to, are able to pronounce. All of us can know God. God's spirit can make that leap to all of those places. 
We may not agree on anything else. How powerful it is that people so wildly different as the Jewish fishermen, the Roman general, people in the 21st century in Palestine, Texas, a German monk named Martin Luther in the 1600s, a British priest named John Wesley in the 1700s, all of us from all those different times and places can know that same spirit of God. One of the things Christianity, the belief in the power of the Holy Spirit, has done over time is it's leapt across impossible divides. It's a meme that speaks deeply to the reality and and presence of God in this world. Let us pray. Gracious living God, we give you profound thanks for your love of us, for your movement in our lives, for your ability to speak to us as you spoke to Peter, as you spoke to Martin Luther, as you spoke to John Wesley, as you speak to the two billion Christians alive today. God, I give you thanks that we can all know you, that you are here in this world right now. And we can know that presence no matter who we are, that you can leap any divide, that there is no person that need be left behind in your kingdom. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, for we are in the power of God's spirit, no matter how impossible it seems, one body united by that spirit. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Our holy, holy Lord is a God with a love for everyone who can unite the ununitable. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.